You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the all-new Razor Guide Pack from Outdoor Edge has it all. Coming in at only 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast with your host, Nate Thomas. Uh, today's show um, is one I recorded with uh, our guest Mark Denham actually quite a while ago. Uh, we've had some stuff slide in front of it and things like that, but it's a really good episode about Western gear uh, for the Midwesterner going out west, whether that's hunting for elk, mule deer, uh, coos deer, which is something that Mark talks about quite a bit in this show, not something any of us has ever hunted or really thought about hunting. So it's an interesting uh, topic he gets into. Kind of talk about, I think it's about six items, uh, six things that he would recommend for someone who's going out west. It's kind of a little different than anything we've ever talked about before. This is a little bit more driven towards um, glass and things like that. And then he also talks about three more items, but it's a it's really just a gear-driven podcast more than anything with Mark. So um, I do want to say before I get into our sponsors, I want to give our condolences to our buddy Vince Hausman. Uh, Vince recently lost his father, and uh, we just wanted to tell Vince uh, that we're sorry for his loss and that we're thinking about him. Uh, it was great to meet his dad at some of the Midwest wildlife events in the past, and um, just wanted to tell him we're thinking about him and uh, hope he's doing okay. All right, uh, let's get into our sponsors for today's show uh, before we get into it. First off, Morel Targets. I've uh, been shooting the shit out of mine, basically. Um, trying to get this new Elite Era. I think I got the Era, yeah. 
kind of dialed in. It's going pretty good. Um, also got the Botech Assassin, or I'm getting the Botech Assassin restrung, and I'm going to get it all set up too. So I got a second bow ready to go in case something goes wrong in Wyoming. And the Morel targets we've been shooting in have been a uh, big help for me. So check them out. Weber Outfitters. Uh, make sure you guys enter the Ultimate Bow Hunting Giveaway. It's going to be linked in the show notes, and you can uh, get to it on our website. So biggest thing is, honestly, if you want to enter into the bow hunting giveaway, which is $1,200 worth of stuff, it's an entire bow setup, essentially, ready to go for anybody. Uh, bow, arrows, broadheads, release, target, etc., etc. If you want to enter it you can't figure it out just get a hold of us we'll tell you how to get there it's easy i'll shoot you the link it's not that bad and you can enter multiple times which is sweet um so check them out weberoutfitters.com out in hawk point missouri make sure you stop by midwest gunworks uh use our code woodswater for five percent off uh with them haven't been doing much with my guns lately uh it's been sticking you know bow and uh arrow lately so haven't been doing a whole lot lately but um, you know, check out Midwest Gunworks. It's a one-stop shop, really. Uh, especially if you like building stuff, man. They got they got a little bit of everything. So check them out. Athlon Optics on top of the guns I've been uh, getting from Midwest Gunworks. I think I've talked about this before. I specifically have a 223 bolt action gun that I got from them. I've got an Athlon Midas Tac sitting in a box still, ready to go on that. I'll get it done soon, I guess. Uh, it's a Thursday night. I'm actually leaving for a vacation tomorrow morning uh, with my family, so I'm not going to get done in the next week at least. But, hey, it's ready to go whenever I need it. River's Edge Tree Stands. Use the code MISSOURI10 for 10% off plus free shipping on hang-ons and ladder stands. Honestly, 10% plus free shipping is more like 10 15 20%, man. So, uh, check them out. I just recently put together five two-man tree stands for the boys uh, so that I can hopefully get them in more situations this year instead of saying no because I'm going somewhere they can't go. So check out River's Edge. They've got a little bit of everything. It's kind of nice uh, in that sense. Lucky Buck, I just dumped a little bit late two different sites today, actually. Uh, it, I woke up this morning, and it was foggy, and it rained last night. So I trudged through uh, the wet grass and crap in two of my properties and, and dumped some Lucky Buck. At least it wasn't, well, I was still sweating my ass off. It was, it's just so damn humid, but um, still got it done. And uh, yeah, I'm sure I'll start getting some more pictures uh, or continue getting pictures in those spots. So check them out, Lucky Buck Mineral. If you haven't started using it yet, you are way behind, but it's never too late. So um, make sure you hop on. And uh, do that for uh, the Lucky Buck. Speaking of Lucky Buck, uh, check out Reveal Cell Cams as well. Uh, as I was out dumping the Lucky Buck, I replaced some batteries in two of my cell cams and set another one out. So, got those running. Um, like I talked about last week, easiest camera I've ever used, and that is also including cameras that weren't cell cams. Um, just because I don't do anything with the settings, like I said on the camera itself. I just set the camera, make sure it's got service. Once I got it set, then I worry about my settings. And I can mess with the settings however I want, whenever I want, which is nice. Um, super impressed by them. So check them out, Reveal uh, by Tacticam. Onyx, 
Use the code MWW20 for 20% off. You got to go to the website. Now's the perfect time of the year to, to be on your maps, checking stuff out, especially if you have new properties. Like I've got one and <clears throat> scouting this time of year is cool, but it's a lot harder to see trails, uh, where the deer are at. So reading those maps is kind of helpful. Plus it sucks walking through the woods right now, to be honest. I mean, it's hot, you get sweaty, there's ticks all over. So, uh, you know, I use a lot of Onyx right now, especially when you're trying to look at somewhere that you can't go to, like Wyoming or Colorado. Uh, it's a good place to be, so check out Onyx Maps. And then last but not least, Black Ovis. Use the code MWW10 for 10% off. Um, I can't think of the last thing. What do I got coming? Oh, I ordered a release um, for my bow. I got the exact same release I shoot now as a backup. I'm kind of getting into this weird-ass being prepared for the worst type of deal. Like I'm, I just said, I'm getting my Bowtech Assassin restrung. I'm going to get it set up so that it's ready to go, and I'm getting another release exactly like mine that it, I'm going to put in the pack. I've got old releases that have been in my pack before, but I want that exact same one. So just ordered one like last week. Um and or last couple days and i'm doing that i know it, it costs people more money but especially if you're going out west or something man it, it just it scares me being on top of a mountain and then your release breaking and you're just sol so check them out black ovis and then camo fire download the app easiest way to use it you can open it up every every morning or every afternoon when you get home from work or something scroll through check out the cool deals Andy has been right. They've been doing Trail Cam Tuesdays. I don't want to give him too big of a head, but he ain't wrong. So uh, check them out. And that is the sponsors for today. So let's get into the show with Mark Denham, where we talk about gear for out west. This is the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast. Okay, with us today, Mark Denham, uh, manager, general manager for Outdoorsman's, and another dude that lives in Arizona that we can't figure out how to talk to. <laughs> yeah, because we don't we don't know how to tell time. <laughs> What's up, man? Hey guys, how's it going? Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Hey, Absolutely. no problem. And uh, this is just kind of funny. We were talking to Mark before the show. We we had a show a few weeks ago with Kevin Gian with Wilderness Athlete. And the same damn thing happened with Kevin. I thought a certain time. They thought a certain Mark time. Mark thought a certain time. And, and uh, it was not the right time because y'all in Arizona are the only sane people in the country that don't observe daylight savings. That's that's how we like to think of it. We like to think that we're the sane ones and everybody else is wrong. So we're trying to bring everybody into our way of thinking. But it, I definitely, would. Uh, it definitely screws some things up sometimes. Dude, I would love to get rid of daylight savings. Supposedly they're voting on <laughs> it at some point, but I don't know. We'll see what happens. I know. I, Who knows? My wife said she had heard that we were going to spring forward this, this spring and not fall back. Like it was a done deal, and I haven't heard a peep about it. So I that's, don't think that's going to happen. That's what I was told too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean there was like news articles about it and – it sounded like everybody was super sure it was it was happening. They were going to change one more time, and then it never changes again. And all of a sudden, daylight savings happens again. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. 
thought that was I thought that was gone and they're like oh no that didn't happen of course like, okay i guess i guess we just can't yeah of course it didn't happen can't have like, nice things imagine that congress or yeah yeah congress or the united states government didn't get something done on time exactly. oh shocker crazy. <laughs> um so if you haven't listened to it yet uh we recorded a show like i said with kevin Gian of wilderness athlete a few weeks ago that was centered around um the physical aspect of getting ready for the going out west as a and even a first time person but someone who's done it before but specifically a first timer like someone who wants to do it um this show with mark we're going to more talk about uh gear and other ways that you can get yourself ready for going out west so before we do get into that mark why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do yeah so i've been with outdoorsman for about uh seven eight years now uh, I've been working the road shows for outdoorsmen since I was, uh, we'll call it 18 cause I wasn't supposed to be doing it while I was 17. And <laughs> so it's, it's been a while now. It's been about 12, 13 years that I've been working directly with outdoorsmen. Um, I was raised in the Western hunting industry. My father, Chris Denham, uh, owner of Western hunter magazine, Western hunter TV. Uh, I mean, he's been, he's been dragging me around with him since, I mean, since about, I could keep up. Uh, we'll call it, we'll call it eight or nine. He's been dragging me around everywhere. He could, he could possibly take me. Um, I've been hunting big game in Arizona and across the West since I was 10, shot my first, shot my first coos deer when I was 10 and pretty much never looked back when it comes to coos deer, uh, here in Arizona since that day. It's, uh, we, we joke here in Arizona that it's about, it's about the most addicting thing you can do when you're, uh, you know, when you're young, especially is get into coos deer hunting. Uh, but been doing that for a really long time, uh, started working full-time with Outdoorsman's about six years ago and have been, uh, uh, guest starring, uh, guest hosting on, uh, Western Hunter for 10 seasons now. I think we're on a season 11 and I, I started hanging out with them in, in season two. So it's been a, been a long journey, a lot of Western hunting in the meantime, and, uh, especially working for Outdoorsman's learning about the equipment and designing, uh, you know, outdoor equipment for the past six, seven years, uh, has been honestly extremely eye opening. And, uh, you learn just an absolute ton about the intricacies of the equipment that we use. And, uh, people tend to, I think, think the equipment can be overlooked in a lot of areas. And I would agree that some areas can be, they can be cut back on or, or, you know, some things you can do without, but you really, what I've learned most is the things that are necessities and that are extremely important to have. And uh, we really try to focus on those things at Outdoorsman's, the things that we produce and manufacture, and then also the outside vendors that we carry, we believe in. Uh, that's kind of our, that's kind of our motto. If we're not going to use it, if we don't use it in the field, or if we wouldn't recommend using it in the field, we're not going to carry it. So every single product that we do carry, we can stand behind and we can say that I would be happy using any of these products. And especially when it comes to the products that we manufacture, uh, that's extremely important to us. Manufacturing and standing behind products that we believe in and that we rely on every day. Feel. So right. that's my that's my spiel about me. So what's that, uh, what's Coos deer hunting like? Ooh, it's... It's different in a lot of ways. So, I mean, uh, Eastern whitetail hunting, I haven't done much Eastern whitetail hunting in my life. So the, the, the comparisons are 
in my opinion, I think the biggest comparison is the patience that it takes. So if you're sitting in a tree stand, you know, for day, hours, days, you know, even months on end to try to find that specific buck, the, the direct comparison would be in coos deer hunting, you're sitting on top of a hill glassing for hours, days, months to find a specific buck. The, the biggest difference, I think, is just the size of the landscape that you're operating inside of. Uh, they are, they live in some of the most impressive and I would say, uh, scary landscapes in, in Arizona. Mm-hmm. They're basically mountain cliff dwelling deer, uh, that get up into some of the areas that you would just be appalled to see a deer on top of that mountain. I can't count how many times I've been glassing down in the bottoms of canyons and, you know, bottoms of hills, not finding anything. And all of a sudden I look up to the top of a 7,000 foot mountain. I'm sitting at, I'm sitting at 3000 feet and boom, there's a, there's a coos deer silhouetted on top of this mountain. And you know, something you would see, something you would see a sheep in. And I think that's where the addiction comes from. They're extremely hard to find. They're small, they're hard to hunt. And it's, it, it, there definitely is a, a bit of a more rewarding feeling, uh, after a hunt like that. It's, it's definitely a lot like sheep hunting. There is a, there is a lot of work between getting to camp or getting, you know, starting the hunt and actually, you know, actually killing a coos deer. Um, you know, with other types of hunting here in the West with mule deer hunting and, and elk hunting and archery elk hunting, there's a, there's definitely a lot of steps involved and there's a lot of, you know, hardships during the hunt, but the amount of ground you're going to cover, the amount of elevation you're going to do, the amount of glassing you're going to do, there's nothing that compares to a coos deer hunt. And I think a lot of Arizonans agree to that. And I think that's why we get kind of addicted to it because it's easy to draw. There's a decent population here in Arizona. So as far as tag availability and uh opportunity it's it's very high you can be successful in almost any who's your unit in the state and uh so i think that's where the addiction comes from is the accessibility and just the adventure of the hunt can be whatever you want it to be you can do you can go on a road hunt and you can go on a 15 mile backpacking trip you know there's so many there's so many in-betweens and, and there's such a difference between what you can do year after year. I mean, we try to mix it up every single year and do a little something different just to, to mix things up. And I think that's where the excitement comes from is one year we can go to a unit and if we're feeling a little lazy or weather's crappy or, you know, the season's bad or, you know, we're not expecting great activity, we can kind of keep it simple. We can walk up a hundred yards to a hill right outside of camp and do some hunting or this year, like this year is a great example. We've had record rainfall um, for the past, I think, 30 now years. Now I know where it all Don't went. Don't quote yeah. me. Yeah, we're, <laughs> yeah, dr- we're yeah, dry. Exactly. Yeah, we're, we're Arizona out here. Yeah. Yeah. The, rest, yeah, the rest of the country's, you know, the rest of the country's appalled by this. But, uh, I mean, us in Arizona, over this winter, it didn't, it, it felt like, it felt like a different state. I mean, we had, we had people... We had people coming into the state to see our flowers bloom, which is, I mean, you would come into Phoenix, Arizona to see our flowers bloom in the spring is like, 
who who would who in their right mind would do that? Yet our hills were our hills were a different color. I mean, they were yellow and and you know orange, and it was it was appalling. I've never seen it in my lifetime. This is this is the most rainfall we've had in my lifetime. So, and we had a decent year the year before and a decent year the year before. So this year we're expecting to see record antler growth and, and record health and populations. And so you can take those low opportunity hunts that you would see in, in dry years, uh, you know, those, those 10 mile backpacking trips into areas that no one accesses. And you could, I mean, you could find the state record. That's the, that's the beauty of it is, you know, we, we get people calling all the time into the office and they ask about Arizona coos deer hunting and uh, <laughs> simultaneous. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they ask about coos deer hunting and they say, Oh, you know what, what, uh, what unit should we put in for? What unit should we hunt? And I say, I the best, your best opportunity, your best draws, because there is a, there is a Boone and Crockett deer guaranteed in every square mile of every coos deer unit in Arizona. There's no, there's no trophy units. There's some that people consider better and they house, you know, better populations and things like that and more density. But if Arizona is doing well, the coos deer are doing well and they're going to do well across the state. So I think that's where a lot of the draw comes from is just the, the adventure, the accessibility and the, the difference uh, between other hunting styles and coos deer hunting. Yeah. It is quite different. So well, I, think that, I was just really going to ask like what, what are the chances to draw? Cause like not to talk bad about Arizona, but my dumb ass has been putting in for elk for the past five, four or five years. And I'll be lucky to draw for an elk by the time I'm 55 years old. Right. Like it's, it's, it's really difficult to draw, especially as a non-resident, you know, places like Arizona when you haven't been putting in until you were in your late thirties. So when you started talking about coos deer and how awesome it is, I'm like, well, I wonder how, how hard it would be to draw a coos deer tag. So and now a non-resident might be a little harder than a resident, but um, it's probably a little bit more opportunities for non-residents and something like a coos deer hunt compared to an elk hunt, right? Tons of opportunity. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, it's the same thing for us, you know, our elk hunting for non-residents, it's near impossible for residents. It's annoyingly long. Right. Uh, yeah. For, for elk hunting. So I drew, I drew at, 11 years old, uh, an elk tag. I drew at 18 years old and I drew at 27. So I have, it's been eight to nine years in between my, my elk hunts. And that's a resident, you know, with Jeez. my hunter ed point and my loyalty points, yep. and every opportunity I can to get more points. And yeah, I'm putting in for decent tags, but realistically, even if you put in for okay tags, you're five years and you need something to do in between then every single year consistently that's where coos deer hunting comes in and Two that's yeah same for yeah same for non-residents it's not a guarantee you're not 100 percent in in most units in arizona but you are 100 percent in at least one every single year for non-residents so there there is an opportunity for non-residents every single year um there's you know tons of resources as far as uh as far as draw odds and things go uh, out there and if you watch those closely and look at the updated draw odds and just pick the hundred percent uh you know just pick the hundred percent draw odds or one point you yeah. know one point maximum type things and just just go on because like i said there's 
there's good units, there's better units, but there's no bad units for cooster hunting in Arizona. So yep. if you've got 100% draw odds or at least 75%, uh, I would absolutely recommend doing it. And once you build up some points, that's the beauty of it. You don't draw that year, you're definitely going to be 100% the next. So your your maximum year of missing cooster hunting in Arizona for a non-resident is one year. You know, that's the next bad. year you're no, with two not. points, you're going to be nice. 100%. And, you know, you never know. You might get lucky. Like me and my brother-in-law, not this one, but my other brother-in-law, he and I both drew a uh, general elk tag in Wyoming with two points this year. So, yeah. So, we we feel like we hit the lottery. What? That's that's lottery right there. I mean, that's that's lottery numbers. Wasn't it 0.7%? We had like a 0.7% chance of drawing, and we we drew. Yeah. That's some of the lowest – that's some of the lowest draws I've uh, successful draws yeah. I've heard in a long time. The only reason have, we put in never drawn a tag like that. the only reason we put in in Wyoming is because Wyoming, as you probably have heard, Mark has been doing some some stuff, and you know there's been a lot of like hubbub about them trying to get rid of the non-resident and blah blah blah. So we had two points, and we're like, well, screw it, we don't want to just lose these points. Let's just put in. What's it going to hurt? So we put in because we had we haven't put in for Wyoming at all before. We've just been buying points every year, or the last two years. Yeah. And we're like, screw it, let's just put them in. That way, we, you know, felt like we got something out of our money that we we wasted, and boom, got it. <laughs> so, uh, that's crazy. A little bit of a segue into uh, the the main topic. We went off into a, what we like to call a rabbit hole with coos deer hunting right off the bat. But <laughs> some of the stuff that people want to do to kind of prepare themselves. Um, from a gear standpoint, um, and you know, other, other things that we get into, especially for the new person going out West. Um, you know, we've been going out to Colorado for five, six years or whatever it is, uh, chasing elk every year. It seems like while we're there, we go, ah, it would have been nice to have one of these would have been nice to do this. Um, so the idea with this show and show the show with Kevin is to try to maybe curve that, shorten that learning curve for people who are brand new um, that, that, you know, they're going to have a budget, obviously. They can't go spending 20 grand on, on all kinds of every new gear that they, they can find. But we can maybe hope, hopefully put them in the right direction on, on what they need. So, and that's going to change based on so, elk, um, where you're going, based on mule deer, coos, Time sheep season time of the season yeah um some of those things will change and we'll probably get into the some of those nuances but um you know let's just start at thirty thousand foot and kind of move in from there what are some things that you would say to the brand new hunter that is going out west for the first time so definitely to somebody that's never hunted in the west before never done any st- uh, type of western style hunting um we have outdoorsman's has three words underneath its brand name and that's tripods backpacks and optics those are the three things that we specialize in because we believe those are the three things that every western hunter should have the they should know extremely well does not matter and that's this like you said budget is something we talk about a lot with our customers because we do produce and we do manufacture a very high-end product and we do sell a lot of you know very high-end optics but that has nothing to do with what you need to start west you know uh, western style hunting we sell slick products uh, as far as tripods go 
which start as low as about 120 bucks for a tripod. Um, some heads we can get down to about 107, 108. So budget is something that I think people see. People see a lot of Western style hunting with you know these $90,000 F350s and you know these uh, $5,000 Hillenburg tents and you know these guys with $10,000 rifles and all this stuff and it, it looks very intimidating. Well, sorry about that, guys. Oh, you're good. Let me turn that off real quick. I just silenced mine like five seconds ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know it's the office. Yep. It's the office phone. I always forget about it. Um, so I think a lot of key people get intimidated by, by that type of stuff. They, they, you know, they watch the TV shows or they see people on Instagram and social media and stuff with these, you know, insane piles of optics and, uh, you know, these trucks and all this stuff. And I think that's the first misconception you got to get, you got to get rid of. You don't need the best of the best, but you do need these items. And so tripods, backpacks, and optics are the three things that we recommend to, to get figured out before you get out West. Everything after that is kind of like your, those are your, your wants after that, your needs are tripods, backpack, and optics. Um, so starting with tripods, the, the main reason is, uh, I would say elk hunting, mule deer hunting, and for the people who are going to coos deer hunt. It's even the most important, but glassing is going to be something that you're going to need to get extremely familiar with. And if you want to be, if you want to be successful in the West, I've definitely been successful by walking through the woods and all of a sudden, you know, something just happens, but that's about 1% of the time. Yeah. 99% of the time I'm sitting on a stool and I'm staring through a pair of binoculars and my eyes are burning after eight hours. You know, and then on day three, something finally happens and, you know, and, and you find what you're looking for. But glassing is the way to save your legs. You know, you, you, you can't cover as much country with your legs as you can with your eyes. And with a tripod, it takes you from an extremely inefficient glasser. Because if you're hand holding binoculars, you're doing about 10% of what you need to be doing. Putting those binoculars on a tripod or a spotting scope or any of your observation equipment on a tripod will make you immediately make you a better hunter. We don't even say like, you know, it's not like, oh, you need to practice, you know, glassing with a tripod or you need to practice doing all this stuff. If you know how to put your eyes against a pair of binoculars, you're, you're done. You, you put it on top of a tripod. You stabilize it. It's perfectly still. You put your eyes up against it and you start looking for movement. I mean, that's, it's a, it's a very simple concept, but it takes a, a bit of, I to turn that off. Oh, you're good. Somebody wants to yell at him right now. <laughs> Why aren't you working? Yeah, I know. Right. Are you ready? We are no, uh, like we're no strangers either to tripods, but we, we do a lot of coyote hunting. Uh, out here in Missouri, uh, that's kind yeah. of our like our one A thing, and that's what we use to coyote hunt is tripods. Yeah, I think all uh, of us use all of us use tripods. Yeah, no, we've also and we also do thermal hunting, which is right. the, even more important yeah. to have a tripod. Man, almost mandatory, yeah. I would assume. But uh, yeah, tripods exactly. they change the game for us when it comes to you know shooting coyotes. You know, I mean, you can be you know what's the other one the tr just the, the bipods yeah the bipods Which i've actually thought about trying out one but yeah bipods are good too but you're 
there's no doubt that you're more stable with a tripod than a bipod. So I, I understand what you're saying yeah. as far as making you a better glasser. I mean, it makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, uh, and that's a, that's a great, I mean, that's a great comparison because I mean, you talk about give somebody a rifle and tell them to shoot an eight inch steel plate at a hundred yards, 10 times. And I mean, even the best, even the best shots in the world are probably going to miss a couple, you know, and then you hand, you hand a 13 year old, a rifle on a tripod, a stable tripod and you tell him hit it. He's going to hit it 10 out of 10 times. Right. All you got to do is sit there and pull the trigger. Like that's, it just makes you more efficient. And especially when it comes to glassing. So, uh, you know, we always, uh, we were talking about the differences, you know, and, and your tactics and especially your equipment, the differences between elk, mule deer and coos deer. And as it seems simple, but some people tend to uh, overlook it as the animal gets smaller, your technique and your equipment becomes even more important. So when it comes to elk hunting, I mean, yeah, I'll carry a spotting scope with me every once in a while, but most of the time my 12 power binoculars or 10 power binoculars, I'm going to be like, okay, there's the bull and it's an okay bull, but I'm going to be able to spot the difference between a 330 bull and a 380 bull with 12 power binoculars within you know, at least a thousand yards for sure. Then you get to all the way down to coos deer where the difference between a shooter is 15 inches. And all of a sudden that equipment needs to be, uh, you know, higher magnification, but it even, you know, it's even more important. It becomes even more important. Uh, and stabilizing those binoculars, stabilizing that equipment is even more important because of movement. Uh, when, when you're glassing, you're not looking for color. You're not looking for shapes. You're not looking for anything but movement. Because these these animals are the they're the color of of what surrounds them. Mm-hmm. You, you're if you're looking for shapes and eyeballs and things like that, it's not going to go very well. You're you're gonna you're gonna miss things. Uh, your eyes actually don't like to look for color, especially in magnified optics. What it likes to do is look for movement. So uh, we always tell people that. Being as patient as possible and just staring at the center image, you know, of your binoculars uh, can be one of the most effective ways to glass because you'll get you'll get those little flickers of movement on the on the outside of your image or on the outside of your your field of view. And that's what we're looking for. And so if you are creating movement in your equipment, that's decreasing the efficiency of, of your eyes because your eyes are having to process all of that movement coming from your hands and your body and then decipher okay did i create that movement or did the you know did something in my field of view create that movement and when your binoculars are completely stable it's pretty easy to discern whether or not because they're not they're not you know you're not moving at all the animals are. it's got to be yeah there is no question yeah yep yeah so your eyes process a your eyes process the center of the image is is where you know color and detail comes from and then the other 90 percent of your field of vision is you know they always say it's if you you know it's actually in black and white you know you you see like a you know people say like oh you actually your the outsides or the peripherals of your vision are actually in black and white your brain fills in the rest uh, I'm not a scientist I'm not a doctor I don't know if that's you know extremely true or accurate but what I do know is that the peripherals of your vision are absolutely designed to pick up movement we were we were prey at one time in our lives 
And, you know, we are, we are designed to pick up tiny, tiny movements in our peripheral vision. Uh, and that's where, that's where that, that tripod and that stability really comes into play. Do you have a preference from, and I guess it doesn't, maybe it does matter from elk to down all the way down to coos deer. Um, do you have a preference between binoculars and spotting scopes? And the reason I ask that is I have never really liked spotting scopes. I don't, I don't know why. Uh, my brother-in-law has got a really, really nice one and we use it like when we're shooting to, you know, see where we're missing and stuff. But I just don't like them that much for whatever reason. Do you have a preference and, um, is there positives and negatives to having binos compared to spotting scopes based on the type of animal? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. I'm not a, I'm not a spotting scope fan. I'm not a spotting scope guy. Uh, and I, I think it, it actually became, uh, fairly clear. There's, there's one product that kind of, uh, differentiates itself from the rest of the market. Uh, there's, well, there's two, I guess you'd say, uh, the large binoculars uh, from Koa, the Koa Highlanders, uh, they come in varieties of different eyepieces, but you can get from 20 power all the way up to about 52 power. And then uh, the Swarovski BTX, they took a spotting scope and they turned it into a binocular. And once the once I started using those two products or those types of products, extremely high powered binoculars, large binoculars, I realized what was happening is I just hate looking through one eye. Yep. Because there's there's so much fatigue involved, and your brain is not designed to process a single image. <laughs> That's I'm telling there, you, dude. My brain I mean, knows try it. To, try to walk around. Exactly. Try to walk around your house with one eye closed. You're gonna bang your knee against something, and it's just it's it's not designed to do that. It doesn't process color very well. It doesn't process uh, uh, definition or detail, and it doesn't process movement as well as having both eyes open. And I think once those products came out, I was like, oh, that's why I hate spotting scopes. Because you're looking through a degraded image already, and then you're magnifying it to 70 power and, and, and expecting it to look like a 4K television in front of you. Like, it's just not how it works. And so binoculars absolutely are king when it comes to any style of hunting. I mean, there are, there's people out there that'll tell you they love spotting scopes and things like that, but what I use spotting scopes for nowadays is I would say like affirming what I've already, what I've already made it. You know, if I see, if I see something, if I see a little bit of movement or I'm looking at a deer or an elk even farther away than what I can really identify, then I'll break out a spotting scope. I will confirm what I'm, you know, what I'm believing or, or just prove it, you know, and say, Oh shoot, no, that was a branch. It's not a, it's not a 110 inch coos deer. That's a, you know, it's just a branch above its head or stuff like that. I don't, you definitely don't use those high powered optics as, uh, what I would call like, you know, general observation equipment. Um, therefore, therefore identifying or confirming something that you believe and then get immediately out of it. Because the longer you stay in a spotting scope with one eye open and one eye closed, the the screwier it gets. Yeah. If you'll notice, you spend you spend a lot of time through a spotting scope, and it looks great at first, and then all of a sudden, five minutes later, you're like, man, I can barely get this thing in focus, and you know the colors are starting to look weird. 
It has nothing to do with the quality of the optic. That is your eyes and your brain saying like, what the heck is going on? Why have I had my left eye closed for, you know, five minutes? I, I'm, there's no light coming in. All of a sudden, this eye starts to go super blue because mm-hmm. it's trying to correct for something. <laughs> it's it's screwy. And so, it, I mean, uh, using them at the range? Really, oh, go ahead. Yeah, well, I was going to say, it, it reminds me, and I don't know if you've ever done any of this, but uh, we we started thermal hunting a few years ago for coyotes using thermals. And we, we have these items called thermal monoculars, and we use them to scan for coyotes, kind of like you would use a spotting scope, and it's in one eye. So this is a very yep. bright object is in one eye. You're looking for these things. You see them. You take it down, and everything looks – because your, your left eye wasn't looking at anything bright. It was just black. Yep. I, I kind of feel that same way with, you know, a spotting scope. And, you know, I never really put two and two together until you just started explaining that, that it's the exact same effect that you're having looking through one eye. And I don't know if it's because I have no idea if there's science behind this, but I I do everything right-handed. I shoot right-handed. My bow is right-handed. My guns are right-handed. And I'm a left-eye dominant person. So in reality, I should be doing stuff left-handed. But... When I'm uh, looking through yeah. a spotting scope, I'm looking through it with my right eye, with my left eye closed, because that's what I do when yeah. I aim, and it just hurts, you know. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't use it. I'll look through my brother-in-law's for a few seconds to, you know, whatever, and then from there, I'm just like, you just let me know what it looks like, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, I'd much exactly. rather, you know, put a set of binos up that are just in my hands and use those compared to, um you know, the spotting scope, I'm not talking about a hunting situation right now, more just shooting, but, um, that's, I didn't, I didn't realize that was kind of the same sort of science behind it, that your eye just doesn't really enjoy that. Yeah. We're, we're programmed, we're programmed to accept stereo vision. Uh, I mean, it, we take, we take two images and we kind of reference what one is seeing and what the other is seeing. And then we triangulate it just like you would, triangulate a cell phone signal you know like you bounce it off two towers and you know exactly where you stand compared to those two towers if you got one eye closed and you bounce a signal off of that you know of of light basically with your eyes it doesn't have that second piece of information to triangulate that position and so your depth of field goes away that's a that's a big one is in in a spotting scope it's a little different because you only have one objective lens but your brain is still processing two images and it's it's processing exactly what it was designed to process instead of handicapping yourself by by closing that eye and like i said super quick glances totally viable and that's exactly how spotting scopes in my opinion should be used and that's not how they're used most often you know people when we hear people talk about how much they don't like their spotting scope uh, because we offer a trade-in program and stuff like that so we'll get people We'll get people calling in like, oh, I want to get rid of my spotting scope. I'm not a fan of it. And, you know, these could be some of the nicest spotting scopes that you could buy. And they're like, ah, you know, I'm just not a huge fan of it. And we'll ask why, you know, and say, I'm just not getting the clarity out of it. I wanted to. And, uh, you know, you say, okay, how are you using it? And guys will be, oh, man, I'm glassing for, you know, I'm glassing for elk with a, with a straight eyepiece, 85 millimeter, 95 millimeter spotting scope. I'm like, for how long? You know, oh, hours hours of just sitting there glassing with a spotting scope. It's more magnification. I, I'm I'm being 
I'm, I'm being better. I'm being more efficient. It's, it's a higher magnification. I can see more stuff. We're like, oh my gosh, man, you're, that is, that pains me to, to even think about using it for that long. It's because that image is going to constantly be degrading because your eyes are just going to get extremely fatigued extremely quickly. So definitely to, to answer the question, yes, the equipment definitely changes, you know, as you, uh, the different types of you know, animals you use and spotting scopes, in my opinion, start to get a little unnecessary. The larger the animal you go and the closer you're, you know, you're getting to an animal. If I'm on an archery elk hunt, you, you can bet your butt I am not going to have a spotting scope anywhere near me at any time. There's no need for it. I don't need it. If I'm on a rifle hunt, nah, I'll have one in the truck. But if I'm, you know, if I'm going to glass on a peak where my longest glass is a thousand yards, I don't really need one. You know, I might take a, I might take a small compact one that I can glance through five, 10 seconds at a time, but that's really it. You also have I one on your the, gun. Uh, that, I mean, that's <laughs> you know? a, that's a really overlooked. Yeah. That's a really overlooked thing. Most people are walking around with it. The very minimum of 15 power rifle scope nowadays, you know, three to 15 or something like that. If not 18, 24, 28 is yeah. so. Or if you're Andy, I mean, 36. If you're Andy, yeah. 36. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. He likes, Jeez. he likes, he likes, the, he likes to see the nose hairs whenever he's, <laughs> yeah. On the, Ooh. Or is it a 32? Yeah, I'm, 34, I'm usually, 34. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm usually like an 18 power guy and I'm usually yeah. like 16 power on an 18 power. So I'm a, I definitely like the, the lower magnifications. We, we always laugh. We carry Collis products and, Collis makes a 10 to 50 oh, wow. uh, rifle scope. And I have looked through it, and 50 power is like looking through a Capri Sun straw. I mean, it is yeah. It is like there is nothing left of that image. When we talk about eye fatigue and high-power optics, rifle scopes are like a great example. Sit behind a rifle for an hour. Uh, you can't do it. I would, I would guarantee you're going to be like, oh, man, after – after about 10 minutes rubbing your eyes and stuff, it's just, it's just not there. We're waiting for the binocular rifle scope. I was getting to, ready to you know, say, to hit the market when one. does that come out? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure yeah. it'll be a thing right? at some point. I mean, I never even thought of it in that yeah. manner though, <clears throat> that, you know, using one eye is, just, it, it bothers you, you know, physically. Um, physically. Yeah. Exactly. That makes sense. Um, but you know, so, I mean, there's a perfect example for people right there off the bat if they're looking for budget and they're like, listen, I don't have enough to buy binos and a spotting scope. Go for the- Sounds like your recommendation would be, well, then go for the binos. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, back, back before 12s came out, or 12s were kind of a, a staple in most lines of binocular products, it was eights and 15s or, or tens and 15s uh you know because spotting scopes weren't spotting scopes weren't the best uh you know back in the 90s early 2000s and so people but the but the 15s were you know they were awesome and so people were carrying like eights and 15s and that was a very common loadout so high power binoculars absolutely i would take if we're talking if we're talking one or the other we recommend high power binoculars every single time you are going to be more efficient you're going to spot more game and realistically you're not going to be missing out on much yeah. spotting scopes and piece of the puzzle that we recommend you know if you want to squeeze one in there 
go a little budget and but don't skimp out on the binoculars. Don't skimp out on, you know, the backpack and then the tripod, you can get away with, with saving some money on that too. But, um, you know, it's, it's a, yeah, there's other important things other than spotting scopes. That's for sure. sure. Yeah. So let's move into the packs. Like what, what are you looking for? And I'm sure it varies for each hunt, but like we we're talking about 30,000 foot view, what, what should somebody think about whenever they're going to look for a pack? Absolutely. So, uh, one thing we always tell people is just durability and capability. So the, the, I think the biggest difference between Eastern and Western style hunting, as far as uh, the use of a pack or the need for a pack is your distance. When that animal is dead, your distance that you need to travel. And most of the time that distance is without a road. So all of a sudden your pack becomes basically the most important thing you've got with you. So especially, especially on elk hunts, elk hunts, I'm sure you guys know at this point can get into some pretty precarious situations after that elk dies seven miles from a road at the bottom of a Canyon or the top of a mountain. And you're like, all right, I've got about 250 pounds of meat that I need to get seven miles and i definitely can't carry 250 pounds at a time so now we're talking two if not three if not four trips and then all of a sudden your pack is like your lifeline basically so uh capability of the pack is the, the number one thing we like to talk about and when we talk when we say capability it's just basically can it hold up to anything you want to throw at it or anything you're going to need to throw at it. And there's tons of great pack companies out there. Uh, outdoorsmen, we do manufacture our own pack line and our main focus is durability and just capability. So we make a pack that is very, very specifically designed for Western style hunting. It is one large compartment with an external frame that can handle basically anything you ever want to throw at it. And because we believe that that is the most important aspect. We don't make the most uh, refined pack. We don't make the most feature rich pack in the world. What we do consider, what we do think we make is the most capable pack as far as what Western hunting entails. Uh, because you got an elk on the ground and I've done it a couple times where a situation requires you to load more weight than you want to and if your pack is the limiting factor there it's gonna it's gonna piss you off uh, there's there's a couple great pack companies out there that make extremely nice external frame and internal frame packs like exo mountain gear stone glacier um kafaru is it, uh, kafaru's huh i said alps outdoors <laughs> yes exactly there's tons of great pack companies out there uh a frame is is the is if we're talking just general uh features that we're looking for in a pack is a frame internal is okay externals usually what we're what we're looking for it provides more rigidity and they can usually handle a lot more weight than internal frame packs because um, like i said if you're if you're in a situation so me and my dad were hunting in uh nevada we we're hunting uh, mule deer in nevada and 
were just outside of Carson City. It was a pretty, it was a pretty metro style hunt. We were just, I mean, at one point we were glassing deer from the Target parking lot, so <laughs> we weren't expecting. Yeah, yeah it was a, funny. it was an interesting hunt, and it was also about negative eighteen that day, so we were very glad to be a little closer to civilization. Um, so we weren't expecting much out of out of a kill. We were we were expecting to be, you know, quarter mile from somebody's backyard. Uh, I ended up I ended up shooting a deer, and it it trotted off a little ways, and we had to we had to hike to him, and we ended up about probably three to four miles away from the truck, and we start skinning this deer, and we look over our shoulders, and there is a snowstorm beyond snowstorms rolling in. I mean. The sky was black, and we are two very Arizona boys who are not like we're not snow savvy. You know, to to me, a blizzard is like oh, I'm I'm a couple minutes from death. Like I need to be <laughs> I need to be near yeah I need to be near a vehicle or a you know dwelling if if snow is falling. And uh, and we looked at the we looked at the storm. We looked at the forecast, and it was it was not going to be pretty. So we had two packs. We were not expecting to go on that much of a hike. So both of our packs were about half full of crap that we did not, should not have had in our packs. So combined, we had a total of one pack, and we needed to get an entire mule deer into one pack. She ended up was you know 120 to 135 pounds of boned out meat because we boned it out in the field for the you know we we thought time was we we were like okay would we rather carry an extra 15 20 pounds of bones or save a little time so we we just boned the crap out of it real quick threw it in the pack and at that point i didn't think of it back then i was still a little bit younger back then but i think back to it now if if i would have had a pack that would have failed on me or that couldn't have done that that would have been a really nasty situation probably would have been fine i would have had to go back the next morning and bury it from underneath the stove would have been frozen solid and you know i would have would have saved most of the meat but it's that it's those types of situations where like if i need to do it i want to make sure my gear can do it right so that's the that's the main thing we like to we like to really look for in in packs uh features and other things like that that's all personal preference you know you can have you can find i mean kafaro has some great accessories and Stone Glacier's got some really great finishes on their packs and they're really well put together. So a lot of other companies have, they've got their niche and they, they do things really well. So you just got to find a company that builds a, you know, a, a very capable pack and there's tons of options out there. And I think so. another point I want to make sure, especially someone who's never went out West really needs to understand because I, I feel like people <clears throat> have gotten themselves in this predicament before is the pack that you buy, and honestly, if you stick to the companies you've mentioned, Alps Outdoors, you know, Exo, uh, Kafaru, you guys, those companies, it's going to be that way. But if you don't, or if you're looking at just different options for, for cost sake, you've got to get a pack that the meat is stored between the pack and your body, not where the meat is stored externally. Um, that is where you're going to get a lot of trouble. <laughs> Uh, when you got that weight just dangling, you know, three feet behind you, it needs to be where the meat yeah. is stored up against your body um, or right up on the frame. Um, it, really, after that, it's just about, okay, well, you know, is this pack $600? Is this pack's 200 I don't really care. Just like you said, 
features are great. I like certain things about packs I've had in the past about, you know, I like this feature. Now that feature, whatever, my new pack, I'm really excited to use for next year. But in a roundabout way, it doesn't matter. It just needs to store meat up against your body. The rest of it is just exactly. where your shit goes. Yeah, the closer the closer exactly. you can get. Yeah, the closer you can get the weight yeah. to you, uh, definitely helps. We so we say uh, tight is light. So the tighter you can get that thing to your body, no matter what it is, it will feel lighter. And in reality, it is lighter because you're, you know, uh, weight that moves weighs more than weight that stays still. You know, momentum creates momentum creates energy. So if you've got something that's flopping around in your back or it's far away from your, you know, far away from your back and it's got a little sway to it, that sway is creating momentum. That sway is creating energy. And that energy is draining your legs and your hips and your core and, you know, and your shoulders and everything. But if I, you know, glued a cement block to your back and it didn't, there's nothing could move. It's going to feel lighter, even at the same exact weight. So that's, that's a very good point. The tighter you can get the load and the tighter you can get it to your back. That's, that's like number one we talk about. I mean, when I, when I tighten down a load on these packs, I'm putting my foot against the pack and like wrenching the, the cinch strap so I can get that thing to, I mean, just an absolute solid object. Just hoping you don't feel that snap (laughs) ever you're doing it, you know, that always scares the hell out of me. But, um, okay. So that could be rough. We talked about, uh, three things that outdoorsman sells, uh, you know, tripods, optics, packs, Obviously, those are important. Mm-hmm. I, I 100% agree on all three of those. Um, pack being super, like, I hate. I guess I hate to say it this way. Like, if I had to pick one of the three, if I had to, I couldn't get all three. I just could get one of the three. I would probably choose the pack over the other two just because, like, okay, if I, if I glass a big-ass elk – or a big mule deer or coos or whatever, and I go kill it, and I ain't, I'm I'm carrying a backpack, I'm screwed. <laughs> you know, I'd rather have yep. like a backpack that I stumble upon in ice elk, I guess, in that situation, and at least I can get them out of there. But so we've talked about the three things of 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 what you guys sell, but what about things that you have personally used in your life? Um, let's just say three. What what is your other top three items that you would recommend? Uh, to the new Western hunter that Mark Denham well, need, they, he says you got to have it. We'll ignore the obvious stuff. We'll ignore like rifles and rifle scopes. and You, you got to kill them with something. Vehicles yeah. and, and crap like that. Exactly. Uh, I'd say boots. Boots is something that I cannot recommend people enough. And I cannot, I can, I can never like get my point across enough. It feels like that how important they are and how important it is to find the right one. Don't go into the season using a new boot that you've never tested out before. It can get expensive. That's the only downside to finding the perfect boot is it can cost you like in the grand scheme of things, it can cost you fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars over five years of trying out different boots, and that's it does suck, and that's a, that's a part that really hurts. But like the day you find the, the the day you go on a hike, and you feel at the end of the day, you're like, holy crap, 
like I, I found it. I found the right boot. That will change. It changes everything because, you know, Western hunting, you got to hike that you can't really get around it a lot of the times. You know, you can, you can glass from the road, you can hunt from the road, but if you shoot, you know, if you shoot 500 yards away, you got to, you're going to have to hike 500 yards and, you know, it's, it's still a hike. And so boots are something that I, I cannot recommend enough. And I don't care what brand you go with. I have had bad experiences and good experiences with pretty much every brand I've ever worn. And so if you have a bad experience with a brand specifically, I would give another model a try. Uh, they, they make all these brands make, you know, Dozens. all these different models because yeah. yeah, exactly. Feet are very different. Ankles are very different. There's different styles of hunting. I mean, like, you know, from one hunt to the next, your, your boots are probably going to change. If I'm hunting coos deer in extremely rocky conditions, I want as much ankle support as I'm going to get. So I don't roll an ankle on the side of a hill. But if I'm hunting archery elk in New Mexico in the, in the pines, I want light and fast. You know, I don't care about ankle support as much. I want to be, I want to be light because I'm going to be on my feet for, you know, 10 hours a day walking around, you know, 15 miles. I don't need ankle support. So there's, there's differences there, but boots is a huge recommendation. Our Find group, the right boot. Our group's a perfect example. Um, Andy, who's not here today. So we're, we're partnered with a company called Zamberland. I'm sure you've heard of them. And yep. there's a, a, a model they make called the Cresta. Andy has a pair and I have a pair. Andy absolutely loves those boots. Best thing he's ever worn. He didn't think he'd like them at first and now that's all he wears. My Crestas, I'm not the biggest fan of for whatever reason. My feet don't love them. They kind of hurt at the end of the, the, the hunt or whatever. So I tried a different model out, which is called the Lynx for anybody that's curious. And I freaking love those boots. They got the BOA system on top of it. And like, I won't, yeah. I won't wear anything else out West. Um, the Lynx is yeah. what it is for me, for Andy, the crest is what it was. You know, Micah, you, you I like ran it? the Beltoros last like, yeah. year. I'm going to try out the Lynx this year. So it's just, that's why they make different models. And it's the same thing with, you know, Zamberland and Crispy and, you know, Kinetrex and all these different, you know, nice. There's, there's a bunch of, but. It can get expensive, like Mark was saying, and I would recommend to somebody, if you do go buy, buy a pair of boots and your feet aren't loving them, I would try to sell those boots and find something else because your feet 100%. are really not going to love them out west. Yeah, I mean, like, there's no point in, there's no point in keeping a boot that you don't like. If you don't like it the first time, or even after like, okay, give it the break-in period, sure. you know, give it, give it some time. But if you go on a hunt after a good break-in and you still don't like them, God, don't, don't waste your time. Like move on. Yeah, the cost sucks and you might have to, you know, you might have to explain it to your wife why you've, why you need a new pair of boots after three months. You know, they, they look perfectly fine, but it's important. I mean, feet, you're going to be using them for the rest of your life. You know, you're, it's kind of important to keep them in good shape and in good health. You know, bad boots can cause damage to your feet. And if you're just wearing them constantly and you hate them, that's not a, you know, that's not something you want. Find a, find a friend with your, with your size and bum all his boots that he's probably already bought. <laughs> like I blessed with having the same exact foot size as my dad. So I steal his boots constantly <laughs> and just shot through, shot through his closet 
and then say, okay, that's, you know, that's the one I want. Uh, you know, then you go buy get. those. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Find, yeah, find a you, 10 and a half. If you're a 10 and a half, there's no excuse for you not to be stealing your friend's boots. One of your friends is another, is also a 10 and a half. I can guarantee you. So, yeah, you don't want to be thinking about your feet while you're hunting. No. You know, that's not, no, not no. going to be a successful situation for you. Yeah. All right. So Mark socks says boots. Too. I the, knew he was going to go with socks or yeah. boots, but, um, yeah, not that. That doesn't count as my, as it's, my it's second one. A. Socks. Yeah. Just, I hear you. That's, that's kind of a no brainer. One, a just buy good socks. Darn tough from farm to feet. Can't, I can't recommend those two brands enough to people. I don't know if you guys have a, a sponsorship with a sock or. Nope. I wear darn like toughs that, all the time, man. Moreno wool, honestly. Yeah. Is, yeah. is what it any needs type to of be. Moreno just, wool. Yeah, pretty much anything. Moreno. Yeah. Yeah. Darn. Yeah, I've got never tried out pair of darn toughs. They're pretty nice. Yeah, if you've never tried out from farm to feet, that's another one I give a like five star rating to. I mean, they're I don't think I've ever been addicted to a sock before, but I had to I had to stop myself because they're of course they're twenty five dollars a pair. They're ridiculously expensive, and I wanted one for every day of the week plus ten. Like you know, I'm like oh, I can't spend that much money on socks. Like I can't justify that much money on socks. But my hunting socks for sure. Like. I will absolutely spend thirty bucks on a pair of socks because it's it makes sense. So makes yeah. a difference. Yeah, it does. All right. So boots is your number one thing. What about number two? What do you think? Ah, uh, a tent. Uh, tents are they? It's it doesn't have you know it's it's one of those things that can get overlooked because it doesn't in a lot of people's minds it doesn't have a direct uh, impact on the outcome of your hunt as far as success goes but it has a fair and this you're going to notice probably a a theme here all the things i'm talking about are quality of life you know while you're while you're out there you know it's there's a huge difference between roughing it for five days on a, a hunt that's that's taken a long time and you know being super comfortable when you're back at camp during the day mental attitude stays high uh, you know, the Western hunting, you spend a decent amount of time just sitting there staring at, you know, staring through optics. If you're in a pissy mood, if you didn't get great sleep that night, you know, if you were cold, if your feet hurt, that's, you're not going to be as efficient at, uh, you know, doing what you're doing. So a lot of my stuff is probably going to be quality of life. So a great tent or at least a tent you can rely on is, is very important. We, we really like wall tents, uh, they, they aren't feasible in, in some areas. You sure. know, they take up a little too much room. In Arizona, especially, driving a stake into the ground is almost impossible in some areas. Floorless can not be possible some places. But having a tent you can rely on and that can protect you from the elements in in any conditions is definitely something that, that I would really, really put high up on my list. Comfort is overlooked because, you know, I think we're, we're hunters. We like to, we like to tell the stories and the horror stories when we get home about how cold, I, cold it was outside. And like, if it's snowing outside, I want to be sitting in a wall tent. It's 75 degrees with a wood, you know, wood burning stove, sipping a glass of whiskey. Like if I've got, you know, a tiny little, tiny little one man or two man tent, that I've been stuffing myself in for the past five days. I have no heater. I can't, you know, I have no way of actually warming up or, or honestly, even cooling down. We have that problem here in summer, you know, and, or, or 
can have a it can have a huge effect on the outcome of your hunt. I think that's that sometimes sometimes uh, people people kind of look past that. You know, like oh, I'll just I'll just sleep out or yeah, I've got a backpacking tent. You know, I can I can throw up and it's like ah, you know, tents last a really really long time. It lasts longer than a lot of other stuff that we spend a decent amount of money on. You know, five six hundred bucks will get you a tent to last ten you know, 15 years if you take care of it well, you know, and that's going to, I can, that'll pay off. That'll pay for itself in two hunts, especially right. if there's, you know, adverse weather conditions and stuff like that. So, for and, sure. and of course, that'd be, that'd you be know, my number two. you got to know what you're getting into. Hopefully as a new hunter, where you're going out, are you going to have a base camp? Like Mark's talking with a nice wall tent, then you can afford to have, you know, a large tent that you set up and it's, it's there for the duration of the hunt. But if you're backpack hunting, then Need something Getting one of those is a really stupid ass idea <laughs> because you're going to be miserable. Yeah. Um. You know, then a one yeah. person or you know maybe even a two person depending on what you're trying to accomplish. Um, but a, a small one person tent that's lightweight. There's all kinds of those out there as well. Um, I've got one. I think it's called the Lynx from uh, Alps Outdoors that is you know that big, like 12 inches by this big yeah. that is going to fit in my pack and. You know, you might have to be taking that down every single morning and putting it up every single night, depending on what your hunt is. So you have to have an idea mm-hmm. what you're doing. Yeah, what style of hunt. But, you know, he's not wrong. Yeah. I mean, what if it's raining? It's raining its ass off and you want to get out of it. There's no other way yeah. except for getting in a tent, you know, yeah. unless you can find some cave to get in or some crap. But um, so, you know. I've, I've, yeah, I've been in those situations and it's just – so avoidable that it pisses you off while you're just sitting there getting soaked to the bone. And you're like, why do I not have a one pound, you know, canopy at the very least, some sort of shelter, you know, on me. Us Arizona guys don't think about rain too often. So I, I get, I get caught in the rain every once in a while. And it's like, dang man, like weather just has, a good shelter is something you can't ignore. I mean, it's just, it's so important and making sure that that shelter is in good condition. I hate doing it. My dad, my dad makes me do it all the time with him. When you get home, set the tent up in your backyard again, go over it, make sure there's no rip seams, make sure it's completely dry, make sure it's all in good condition. And I'm like, Oh dude, I'm tired, man. Like, Ugh, I don't want to do that. It's 105 degrees outside, like, you know, or it's, you know, blah, blah, blah. I just want to sit on the couch. And it's like, that's why tents last longer. I mean, taking care of them. And the next time when it starts raining and there's water pouring through the floor of your tent and you realize there's a seam that was ripped that you could have easily fixed at home. And now you don't have your repair kit on. You know, it's like having a good shelter, taking care of a good shelter. That would be my, that would definitely be my number two there. All right. What about number three, your third item it would have to be some sort of uh gps system some sort of uh sos or gps system that has become that has become more important than a lot of items that, that we carry with us it's it's not just it's not just navigation realistically navigation is going to be base map or onyx most people are using that nowadays uh, GPS is not navigation anymore. It's 
SOS, it's communication, and it's your lifeline in most of America. If you look at a coverage map for Verizon Wireless, most places that house really good elk and really cool meal, really good mule deer are no blacked sense. out. Yeah, yeah no service really nice, there. They're a nice dark black color on their service coverage map. And I mean, we were, I can see, I can look out my window right now and see the mountains that we hunt coos deer in sometimes. But I mean, we have a, we live in Fountain Hills out here in Arizona or in uh, Phoenix, and we have a giant fountain, and hence the name. And from where we were hunting a couple years ago, I could see the fountain going off. I could almost see my house with 70 power spotting scope, zero bars of service, not a, not a single piece of service. And now that those, now that these systems, uh, I'll talk about Garmin specifically. There's tons of options out there. I'm not read up on a lot of other, we use Garmin, we use Garmin exclusively. Um, and I, I, there's no other reason besides there's probably a really well-known name and they make a good unit, you know, and they, it does what we need it to do. So we never really ventured outside of it, but I'm sure there's other amazing units out there. Um, but having one of the tiny little, uh, in reach mini, the the mini in reach, yeah, the in reach mini. Exactly. Having that with you can, well, I mean, there's no, it, it can save your life. I mean, it can absolutely save your life one day. And in the meantime, it's going to make your quality of life a lot better. You're able to send text messages from anywhere on the planet that, you know, if you've got a family, if you've got, you know, somebody at home or anything like that, it makes your life better. You know, it makes them happier. And that's just a little small thing that, you know, that helps you along the way while owning that product. And then one day you snap your leg out in the middle of the backwoods and, you know, instead of thinking like, oh, this... (laughs) I'm 15 miles from a truck. This might be a bad situation. You're you're 30 seconds away from a 911 call. And that is like yeah, the technology is you can't ignore it anymore. For a couple hundred bucks, you can you can possibly save your own life if not somebody else's. And I think that is undeniably one of the the most important things you can have in yeah. your kit at all times. And the yeah, service, if you, if you can't see your truck, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say in the service, you can, you can have the service just while you're on your hunt. So it's not even, you know, you don't have to pay for the entire year. Right. Um, just do it uh, right around like two, yeah. mid August. Cause I'm, I'm a little OCD, so I don't want to, yes. uh, right around mid mid August, I go ahead and activate it, make sure it's all right. So I probably end up paying for two months, but I know it's good. I can make sure my inReach mini is ready to go and ready to go for the the trip and um you know the the unit itself is like you said a couple hundred bucks i mean it's not the cheapest thing in the world i guess you'd say but yeah um you know you can find deals and stuff like that and uh i would also i'm going to add a 1a to your recommendation of the gps system yeah which is adding mapping on top of that um 100%. my first year out west i bought a little garmin gps a uh, little yellow the little 80 dollar and all it was was a little dot yes yeah, so, and uh, i had one for about a year it was a dot where you were <laughs> and a dot where your camp was or wherever you marked but it was just yes. on a screen right and i felt very very out of place 
first time I've ever been up in the dark timber in Colorado. And you, you walk 50 yards and you feel like you're lost. And yeah. having that, I was not a huge fan of because I couldn't tell where I was. I, I, you know, I didn't have a map. Mm-hmm. Um, the next year I had Onyx Elite. And um, once again, we're, we're sponsored by Onyx, so that's who we would recommend. But there's other GPS mapping services. I would recommend getting one, being very familiar with it, and then downloading your maps offline say that again, download your maps offline <laughs> uh, because you have no idea if you're going to have service. So if you don't have service, you won't be able to access yeah. your damn maps. Um, so you download yeah. those maps before you leave for your trip, and then you can feel like you know where the hell you are. Yep. And I would always recommend to people, if you feel like you're going to be in this area, download your maps five times bigger than you think you're going to need. So that if you end up yeah. veering outside of it, you can you still know where you're at. And for me, I didn't feel lost anymore. I knew where I was. I knew I was right here on this mountain instead of on this screen blinking as a dot. Um, and I've told that story before. Right. You know, the first, I think my first day, my brother-in-law and I were together. And then he said, hey, why don't you go this way? I'm going to go up this way. And all it took was me kind of like going around this little bend in the elevation. And I just felt like, I don't know where he is anymore. I started kind of freaking out a little bit. And uh, we probably weren't more than 100 yards away from each other. And I had I had no clue. It was one of them deals. So I would I'm, add to the GPS I'm system, good mapping. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I, I can't, I cannot agree more with that. And I have to back up your download the maps while you have Wi-Fi at home so you're not stuck on top of a hill with one bar of service trying to download the maps that you forgot to download at home like I have probably like me and my dad have both done probably 10 times now just pissed off at ourselves sitting there holding our phones over our head trying to get a 25 megabyte file to download yeah it's a and also for the like the mapping softwares I think have changed more about how we hunt pretty much anything else in the last six, uh, probably seven years they've been you know they've been pretty prevalent they've changed more about what we do and how we hunt than i think any other form of new technology out there it's it's pretty mind-blowing what you can discover and the the pre-planning you can do with them and uh all, there's a little bit of advice for the for the penny pinchers out there who own thousand dollar iphones but don't want to spend the subscription on you know on eighty dollar a year, now. eighty dollars right. a year if you use yeah, our exactly. discount code. Yeah. Exactly, and I it's no. Brainer. I know I know some of those people, but they uh, Apple is actually on the new iOS. They are actually offering onboard offline maps now, really to a certain degree. So there's no you're not getting waypoints. You're not getting like you're not getting the things you're paying Onyx and and the other companies for. That's for sure. But at the very least. Use those offline maps because, again, it's in that situation, just having those offline maps is not necessarily about the hunt and how much it's going to help you on the hunt. It's about safety, you know, and it's about being able to know where you are at a given time. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, it could save your life one day. Uh, you know, with the Apple stuff, you know, you're not going to have, it's not really going to change the outcome of your hunt. It's not going to give you any information. It's not going to do any of that stuff, but you can at least know where you are. I think that's a that's a safety thing at that but point. But what it could be is a backup because what I've been doing, and yeah, I, this is how I am, 
shit happens, right? Stuff can go wrong. I can download my maps at home. I, I usually, after I download them, then go into airplane mode and make sure, hey, there it is, I, I don't have service right now. But stuff can happen. So, like, my whole life, since I started using maps, I've actually been paying for two different services. One of them, I don't ever freaking use. But I yeah. download the maps on that as a backup. Like, just in case something goes wrong with my Onyx, who knows, maybe the app was supposed to be updated and I didn't do it, and maybe my son deleted the damn thing on me before I left. You have no idea, right? <laughs> well, I mean, I had it happen to me, I believe it was two years yeah. ago. You know, I had my maps already downloaded. We were going to the same spot. But before we got out of service, I didn't go in there and, like, refresh it or something like that. And so when I got up on the mountain, I went offline, everything was just blurred. blurred. Like, yeah. it was blurred. Like, it still showed yeah. where I was at and everything. And that was my fault. You know, I didn't do what I was supposed to do. But if I would have been by myself, I would have been like, well, crap, now I got to go find service or something. Like, but, yeah, I could yeah. have been screwed. Luckily, I was, you know, with f four other people that had the same thing, so I didn't have to yeah. worry. But uh, yeah. it, it's a big deal. Yeah, so, you know, that iPhone thing, that could be your backup. If you, uh, you know, you have your yeah. OnX or whatever service you use, uh, I would recommend OnX just – one of their features they have is my my by far my favorite feature, which is the uh, direction of travel. You can set it to where wherever you're pointing the phone is the way you're facing on the on the map, yeah. so you can see like. Uh, and to me, that's been the best feature. That's just my my brain works that way. So, I'll give you a little piece of advice, and this is this is something that I wish I would have known prior. Uh, mapping softwares and your phone and binocular harnesses that use uh, high-powered magnets do not mix and do not go well together. And that is one thing I would highly recommend if you're going to be using a mapping software a lot, which I do. I'm like, because I, I, I get lost. I'm not the best with directions, to be completely honest. And so I've got my mapping software up a lot. And we have found that it's nobody's fault. It's not the phone manufacturer's fault. It's not the mapping software. And it's not the bino harness manufacturer's fault. But all those things put together creates a problem. That compass inside those phones is electronic, and it gets absolutely scrambled by those uh, by those magnets and those uh, harnesses. And I've been in some situations where it really, really put a damper on you know what i was doing it got me turned around eventually yeah you've got the whole map and you've got your dot you can figure it out you're going to start walking and you're going to be like oh my dot moved the wrong direction like <laughs> i need to go i need to go this direction right but it's a little annoying when you know you're facing west and your phone is convinced that you're walking east and you know it's your, your dots moving backwards basically so that can get a little annoying. Never would have thought about that. Actually no. Yeah, never would have thought it, about that. We it took us it took us longer than I'd like to admit to figure out that that was the problem. I it took me a new phone to realize that like it's happening with the new phone, and I was like, I'm gonna throw this dang thing off a cliff. <laughs> like this is ridiculous. I was getting mad at I was getting mad at everybody. I was getting mad at you know the mapping softwares, the phone, you know satellites, I don't know what, I was blaming it on absolutely everything. And I realized one day, it, it made me think, when, uh, when I was taught how to use a compass, I was always told, uh, 
cell phones, uh, towers or power lines, large forms of metal. So like, you know, tanks and big trucks and all that type of stuff, even something down to a rifle, metal and magnets can have an effect on the way a magnetic field works. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, I'm taking my phone and I'm sticking it in the front pouch of this harness that has three rare earth magnets on the front of it. And sure enough, I take the, take the pouch off, throw it off to the side, give my phone a few minutes to, to recalibrate. Works perfectly fine. That's crazy. I was like, ah, <laughs> wow, okay. interesting. That's that's something. So manufacturers have actually started uh, kind of catching on to that. We use a, a ton of uh, products from a company called Marsupial Gear here in Arizona, and uh, they have actually started manufacturing what they call their Nomag pouch, uh, which uses elastics and and other materials like that to to get around that. And I've switched over to it completely because it. It is a problem that needed solving, and so luckily there's companies out there that are paying attention. To that makes like sense. That. I mean, I, I wouldn't have thought of it that way either. But, no, because we've all done it. Let's all admit it. We've all started walking like 200 yards later. We're like, shit, <laughs> went the wrong way. I'm not going 100%. the right way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, you look like you look like you're just walking in circles. Oh, it's the worst. Yep. Yeah, but you, uh, all, you you just you you tell your friends like, oh, I actually forgot something. We, we're not. <laughs> no, I'll be back. We, let's yeah. let's go ahead and turn around. Let's go back that direction. Yeah. Awesome. So we got tripods, optics, packs, boots, tents, and GPS slash mapping software. You know, those are the the six yeah. things Mark kind of is telling the new new person that's going out west. Focus on those. There's a lot more that comes to it, but if we talked about every little thing We'd be that the day. new person yeah. would need, we would we would do about ten shows probably. And even then, I don't know if we'd get it because <laughs> I I mean I'm just thinking of my pack yeah. and my tote that I take. Every, I mean, there's so many things I think are important that, you know, yeah. but that's just one person compared to another as well. And what kind of hunting you're doing, there's all kinds of um, variables. So what I would say is it is, uh, we're recording with Mark right now on June 9th. It's going to come out in a few weeks. If you have, if you are, if you know you're going out West, which you should by now, um, you've, you've got all your draw results for the most part. I think every state's done their draws now that I care about at least. Um, if you know you're going, you should be preparing already, both physically, like we did with, uh, Kevin Gian a couple weeks ago. And now with Mark, you should be preparing. And that means start buying your shit now, start playing with it, get your damn boots, get your, you know, if you don't have a GPS system, or the, the mapping system especially, do it. Um, you can find discount codes all over the place for us, specifically like Onyx. We've got a 20% discount code with them. There's all kinds of places that have them. There's other companies as well. Start buying your stuff now because you might get a new a pair of binos and you might say, I don't love these. I want to trade them in or I want to get a new pair. You know, same, same like with boots and yeah, yeah packs. I, and, I'm looking at a couple pairs of binos, you know, right now for Wyoming because I don't know exactly what I'm going to get into. And you know, our partner Athlon has this really badass pair of Chronoses that are 15 by 56, but that might be overkill, you know, for where we're going. I'm I might only need 10 by 42s out there, but I'm doing I'm doing the homework right now, not August 31st. Is there 31 days in August? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) You know, that's a bad time to be doing it two weeks before you leave. (laughs) So. No, we we try to recommend that to people as much as possible. This industry is, uh, I would say, consumer heavy as far as, you know, the the products that are being manufactured sometimes do not meet the demands of the industry. 
that means back orders. That means, you know, that means wait lists and things like that. Because most of the time you're buying from companies like us. We're smaller. We don't have billions of dollars of inventory sitting on shelves ready for you to ship same day, you know, type thing. So, you know, if you're, if you're purchasing from companies like that, give them a minute, make sure you're doing your homework, make sure there's availability ready. Optics are another thing, you know, you can run into availability issues with stuff like that. So that's not something you want to be dealing with on August 15th, you know, like, Oh, I need them in two weeks. And you're like, well, we're, we're three months out. You know, you can, January over-the-counter deer in Arizona, you're going to have them for that, but uh, not much else there. Not so, early September. Yeah, that's a yeah, not early September. That's for dang sure. So awesome. definitely would back that one up. Well, Mark, we uh we really appreciate your time today and and kind of helping you know the new Western hunter. I keep saying going out west. It could be somebody out west that just hasn't hunted before and they want to you know start hunting. Yeah. It doesn't have to be one of us flatlanders, as I say, or flyover people going out west yeah. you know it could be someone already out there but you know the new person um to me it's you know i want to keep hunter recruitment at, at high levels and we've seen hunter recruitment levels drop over the past you know uh, decade or whatever i think they've gone up good that's good well especially with covid <laughs> yeah with i'm sure COVID, they, have. they started going up but you know the oh, one yeah. thing i do worry about is the new western hunter having a bad um experience their first year and and never wanting to go again and by bad experience, yeah. I don't necessarily mean kill something because you're probably pretty unlikely to kill something as a first year hunter, honestly, whether it's elk, whatever, but yeah, the experience itself needs to be good. So, you know, like for me, my first yes. year, even seeing a damn elk was, was a win, um, yeah. let alone trying to get one killed. So it was, it was a, an awesome ex- experience because I had people that helped me get ready for it. Well, some people out there aren't that lucky where they've got a group of guys that were already going. So they're relying on shows like ours, other people, to help them get ready. So at the same time, um, you know, if you have questions, feel free to reach out to us and ask us what we think. What do we do? What would you get? Um, You know, Mark, do you have any contact information if people want to try to get a hold of you guys? Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say – you know, if, if anybody has any questions, uh, Arizona hunting specific, I mean, do not hesitate to call us about Arizona. That's for sure. Uh, we're a retail store. We carry certain vendors. We carry certain products. We don't really care. Call us. We'd rather make a connection with a customer and hope that something we sell, you know, we sell catches their eye. Realistically, what we're here to do is just provide information. The three guys that we've got up front are some of some of the most experienced people I know when it comes to hunting and then the products that are required to hunt, you know, that, that gap between, or that, you know, bridging that gap of that knowledge, these guys are extremely knowledgeable. If you want to talk who's deer hunting, especially uh, Ryan, he will, he will not let you off the phone. One of the most experienced guys I know, one of the most successful guys I know, so please, even if you're not purchasing anything from us, never hesitate to call us. We're happy to talk to anybody. We're happy to give anybody any information. And we just hope we make a good connection. And then later on down the road, if you need something that we sell, we're, we'd be more than happy to sell it to you. But that's really not what it's about for us. We're just about making good products and making good connections with hunters. So 
You can reach out at info at outdoorsmans.com. You can always reach us online at outdoorsmans.com. It's got all of our contact information there. And then uh, our phone number is 1-800-291-8065. And uh, please, seriously, feel free to call anybody. Call us anytime. We'd love to talk to you. Awesome. Well, Mark Denham. We appreciate your time today, man. We finally figured out that you stupid Arizona folks who are actually the only sane people in the world will probably mess this up next time. But, hey, we figured it out. Oh, I can, I can guarantee it. I can guarantee it. We'll mess it up. I'll mess it up for the rest of my life. Thank All right, man. you, guys. I really appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. We appreciate man. you. Thank you. See you, man.